The Purple Line is a community podcast bringing you in-depth conversation with diverse leaders. Whether you're a student looking to gather advice or professional tuning in for valuable resources, our dynamic programming provides tips for all ages and backgrounds. Communications Director from the Congressional Hispanic Leadership Institute, Chile. I'm Michelle, and this is The Purple Line. The Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, continues to lead the nation with a mission to prepare, prevent, respond, and recover from a disaster. For today's episode, I have the privilege of interviewing one of our very own Chile alumni, Alejandro Alba. I know you had the opportunity to complete your internship program back in 2014, and now you're working as a public affairs specialist at FEMA. Can you let us know what your journey was like after completing your internship program? Yeah, absolutely. And again, thanks, Michelle, for having me. And um, shout out to everybody from the Chile Alumni Association, Corporate Advisory Council, the board. So as you mentioned, I did my fellowship back in uh, 2014. I was with uh, Texas Congressman Henry Cuellar. Uh, his district, for those who don't know, is on the southern tip of Texas. And I also interned with Heineken USA with uh, Justin Kissinger. So, so it was a great experience. I learned a lot during that program. And in a way, I think that that program really prepared me for what we're going through now and how I'm helping uh, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA. Right after the fellowship back in 2014, you know, a lot of people will say your early 20s are a time for self-discovery. It can be a crash course on life. Um, and my case was no different because uh, after the program, I helped out Chile as a communications consultant. I worked at HACU, uh, which is the Hispanic Association of Colleges, Universities. Uh, I was a server at a restaurant. I wrote editorials, op-eds on things I was passionate about. I volunteered for an alumni association for a program I did during college. This whole mixture of things that had nothing really to do with what I'm doing now. And I remember back in 2015, I stopped by the office of one of our corporate advisory council members, Ray Dempsey, with BP America. And I asked him how he got to where he was at. And he took out a napkin and a pen and he draws line by line showing the different stages of his life, which got him to where he is now. And he told me, Alejandro, there is no single path towards success. Uh, there is no singular path that everyone follows. Everyone is different. Everyone's destiny is different. And how we go about that is our own special story. So in 2016, a friend of mine who did a scholarship program when I was in undergraduate school forwarded me this opportunity that I'm having the privilege to do right now with FEMA as a public affairs specialist. Uh, so basically what I do, because that's a pretty broad term, what does a public affairs specialist do? For myself, my job is I'm kind of like the eyes from above for uh, media stuff like news articles, broadcast coverage. So basically, I take all the content from what you see on the news, like CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, online news articles, front page newspaper headlines, taking all of that info, even in Spanish, condensing it into these concise reports for our agency senior leadership and headquarters and around the country. Uh, but, but what I really appreciate about FEMA is that they've given me so many opportunities to, for example, contribute to the FEMA podcast series. And I'm also really excited to be able to create and develop analytics formulas that can help us assess how we do interviews and how we engage with our media partners. Because part of what we're focused on in external affairs is making sure that we're communicating our message and the facts and what's happening on the ground as accurately as possible to the public and the press. So if there's something we need to focus on a little bit more, it's my job to notify leadership, hey, we might want to touch a little bit more on these things for, for next time. And that's how we improve because we're all trying to improve uh, as a federal agency, but even as people. 
So in that way, the, the way I tie it back into Chile is that uh, one example is that I help out with whenever we have a hearing on the Hill. Because during 2014, I was so interested in being inside those committee hearing rooms, whether it was foreign affairs, defense, uh, whatever the case may be, because I knew who were the stakeholders in Congress that focused on FEMA, now FEMA's congressional team wants to loop me in because I can tell them what these committee members are saying so they're prepared and they know what's going to be discussed. So Chile was so instrumental in preparing me for this next phase that within those two years before I got to FEMA, I didn't know how it was preparing me. In that regard, this journey is still going. It's still going, but I'm learning every step of the way. And I always thank you know, Chile and the program for giving me those steps to where I am today. That's amazing. I think that's the first time I really heard your full journey. And honestly, myself and Chile would also like to say thank you to you because I know that you're still really involved with us. You always take current global leaders and give them tours whenever there's a chance. I know right now because of everything going on, it's a little difficult. I, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about FEMA and I know they're committed to protecting and serving the American people. Can you walk us through the process of how the organization leads from the moment a pandemic comes to surface, the efforts that are put in place and even the decisions that are made afterwards? Yeah, so one of our former FEMA administrators, his name was Brock Long uh, from Hickory, North Carolina, a very charismatic individual. He once said in an interview that it's important to set expectations. This was during Hurricane Harvey. And that still rings true today because if we think about it, FEMA hasn't really faced anything like this kind of a disaster before, or a crisis, I should say. Because uh, if you think about what we normally handle and what Congress designed us to do was to respond and help prepare for traditional natural disasters. So under that umbrella will include hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, tornadoes, and wildfires. Those are the traditional disasters that we expect to face in any given time throughout any year. But with the challenge with the virus is that, uh, whereas, for example, a hurricane has a somewhat sort of shelf life, if you will, we can, we can assess and make predictions on where it's going to go, how long it'll take until it verges back into the ocean or it breaks down and dissolves. A virus like COVID-19 is much more difficult because we're having to rely on data that's fed into us from either other countries or what we're assessing in the ground with our test kits state by state. Uh, so in that regard, in the beginning, we took all the data we were getting from our interagency partners, like the White House Coronavirus Task Force, and we were assessing which areas are being most impacted each day that went by. And so I think with this kind of a crisis compared to the traditional natural disasters is that we're all learning and adapting as we go. But one of the things we've done at FEMA, and I'm sure that all of federal agencies are doing as well, is that we have been prepared to work virtually. We've had to communicate much more frequently, but that's just a testament as to how committed we are to think about these circumstances, that if we can't go to our actual work office, we can work virtually. And so the operation continues just in a different format. Uh, you mentioned during the process, we have to, like I said before, we have to assess how much supplies we have, for example, in our, in our strategic national stockpile. That's a whole of government effort. It's not just FEMA, but we have to determine which states around the country are going to need a lot of those supplies in the stockpile. So when we assess these things and we get information from our states around the country, for example, our congressional or local county tribal leaders, they can let us know how much uh, hospital beds will they need, how much healthcare equipment like masks, gloves they will need, um, ambulance trucks. That's one example in New York City that we're seeing. 
but also bolstering the testing sites. Like I mentioned before, these community-based testing sites are operated on the ground by the state, local, and tribal governments. FEMA does not operate those, but we support them in standing those up and administering them. So it's a very fluid situation. We adjust as we go. And, and afterward, we're going to do our after action report because that's what FEMA always does. After every disaster, we have to assess what do we need to improve upon? What things did we do well? And then we prepare for the next time this happens. But I also want to say more broadly, Michelle, a lot of times, and we still see this today, at least in my position, the public can think that FEMA is like a 911 service, that we're the first responder and FEMA is going to come in to save the day. I think it's fair to inform our listeners and the general public that this COVID-19 response is actually a whole of America partnership. If you think about disaster response and recovery, imagine like a four-legged stool, like a chair. The four legs are comprised of the federal government, state, local, and tribal governments. Then you got the businesses who are very critical in this time with supplying a lot of the supplies that we need on the ground, but also, and this is probably more than ever, the individual, you and I, all of our listeners right now, that fourth leg on the stool has never been more critical than today, because when it comes to the social guidance preparedness measures that Vice President Pence has put out, the White House put out, Center for Disease Control tries to emphasize and Health Human Services tries to promote with us, it really comes down to the individual, because in order to contain this, we need everyone to play their role in this. And if we're not doing our best effort to social distance six feet apart, stay in our homes when we can, and avoid traveling where it's not necessary, that is a very important way that we're going to expedite the speed in which we get past this crisis. So it's a four-legged stool where we're all responsible in our own way. But more than ever, like I said, it's all dependent on us to do what we can individually. I agree with you 100%. It's definitely something new and there's no answer to it because we're living it day by day. But I agree that, that it's, it's up to everyone really to get through this. We're going to have to do it together. And I know that FEMA has been working with Department of Health and Human Services, as well as government officials and corporations have stepped in as well to help protect the public. Can you maybe share how the organization is responding, some of the actions behind the scenes? Do you have respondents that are specifically helping more vulnerable communities? Yeah, that's actually a great question, especially that last one, because as a member of uh, CHLI, you know, we always think of what about the Hispanic community? So I'll touch on that in a second. Um, I mentioned briefly before the White House Coronavirus Task Force. That right now is one of the main ways that we are working with Health and Human Services to respond to fight the pandemic and protect the public. So I'll give you one example. Because of the magnitude of this crisis, one of the first ways that we are involved is through our National Response Coordination Center. I personally characterize it as our war room because that's where all the action takes place during a crisis. I really wanted to show our current cohort of fellows how that works in real time, but because of obvious circumstances, it just wasn't possible. But in that response coordination center, that's where we have the whole federal family working together to assess and get needs on the ground reported in real time. So you have health human services. You can some, sometimes have volunteer organizations with us, embedded with us. Um, we, we can track social media messaging so we can inform the public of everything that we do on the day to day or to track public sentiment. Like how is the public reacting to the things we are doing? And as of today, more broadly, because of efforts like the NRCC, we've been able to obligate over $3 billion in support of medical treatment, protective equipment, crisis counseling, because we know mental health is going to be a big concern, even alternative care facilities, because as you may have seen, a lot of hospitals are reaching or expected to exceed capacity. 
Another uh, way that we help is through Project Airbridge. The White House has been talking about that in recent days during the White House afternoon press briefings. That's how we're bringing in supplies from abroad. So just to give a little bit of context, we have the national stockpile. That's where all the emergency supplies are stored, and we can distribute it to the states or communities who need it. Project Airbridge is helping us fill in those gaps while the national stockpile is being exhausted. So that's on the day-to-day. That happens every day right now. We continue to get updates. And as we find out what these states still need, we can adapt and uh, adjust Project Airbridge or other ways we try to get protective personal equipment to the communities who need it. And to the point about vulnerable communities, two ways we help with that. We have a very, very good posture with sign language interpreting. Uh, we try to embed our sign language interpreters with our from administrators when we go doing our national level interviews or press briefings. It's a little more difficult now, but we've been able to use that in our social media channel. And then with the Spanish-speaking community and Hispanic community, like I think we're both from the same neighborhood, South Florida? Yes, we are. Perfect. Right. My family, um, my uncle and aunt, they're, they're not the best with English. So one way that we do help is through our Spanish portavoz, our Spanish spokesperson. And he does a tremendous job of doing interviews with Univision, Telemundo, CNN Español, sometimes Radio Caracol, which is in Miami, Florida. And we do a very proactive job of taking the messaging that we normally communicate to English-speaking outlets, and we translate it and communicate it appropriately to the Spanish media and those respective communities. So, uh, so to answer your question, we always think about these things. How can we make sure that our message is reaching uh, people from underrepresented communities, even through social media, because this stuff can be very technical. Social media team that we have does a very good job of putting it into layman's terms. Terms and putting into visual graphics that can help the public understand, okay, this is exactly what FEMA is doing. And we always think about ways that we can improve our messaging every day. So that's basically how we're helping with the federal family to get our messaging out and inform the public as to what FEMA is doing. You actually touched some of the topics I wanted to ask you about. A lot of people are, during this time, they kind of panic and they, they try to find as much resources and information as they can. And it can get confusing with so much information out there. Can you tell us a little bit more where we can find resources and most importantly, how we can help anyone that is coping with anxiety and depression? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you just brought up a great point in that, in that everyone's looking for information. There is right now so much uncertainty. So a couple of things. One thing that we thought about very early on because we've dealt with natural disasters every year and it's a recurring theme is myths, rumors, and facts. Uh, I think we did a very good job of putting together a rumors control page on the website FEMA.gov. For those of you listening, if you go to FEMA.gov on any internet browser, you may see on the front page, there's a link to what we're doing to respond to COVID-19. And you'll see a tab that leads to rumor control. That is being updated, if not daily, every couple of days, because we gauge what the public is talking about online and we can take what they're saying and find out through our external affairs team, which of this information is valid, which of it is false. Does FEMA actually do these things? Which one does it not? So when it comes to food, that is not us. What we're focusing on right now is backfilling what they need on the supply end. The supply chain is very critical at this moment that you and I are talking right now, Michelle. If someone listens to this podcast episode later on down the road, our responsibilities may adapt or it may change a little bit. 
if it regards employment, I think that's a twofold question because that could mean I want to work for FEMA or I want to volunteer or I'm unemployed or I've been affected. What I would recommend that people do is make sure that you contact your workforce for unemployment. That is your first resource or contact your state uh, government, not FEMA. If you wanted to get involved with helping FEMA, we do have a career webpage that's careers.fema.gov, but there's also other ways to get involved. You can volunteer on one website is nvoed.org. That stands for the National Volunteer Organizations Active in Disasters. And if it comes to financial resources, which is a huge thing, I think the appropriate venue right now, because we're all aware of this uh, stimulus package that's been approved by Congress, that's going to be coming out very soon, if not in the coming weeks. But that's a question with the Department of Treasury. So FEMA would not be the correct agency to get that information. And I get those questions a lot. So we just have to clarify the message and just inform the public. You know, it's not not their fault. This happens all the time. A lot of us are nervous and stressed. So if we don't have the answer, we always try to do our best to refer them to the appropriate federal agency to assist them. Uh, so that rumors control page, you can find so much information about rumors that have just been going around. For example, medicine. There's been a lot of rumors that prescribed medications are able to cure COVID-19. And we have information on that rumors control website indicating what the CDC has advised. If you are not sure about something, please visit our website on FEMA.gov, or you can visit coronavirus, all in one word, coronavirus.gov, because the federal government has been putting information on a timely basis to make sure that we're informing you what the actual updates are so that we can be informed of what your needs are and the public can be informed of what we're doing to address them. Yeah, and I think I actually saw the other day an article that Apple is partnering up with FEMA and the White House to create an app that will have this information. Do you know any information around that? Personally, see, I, I don't work on the technical side or within those discussions, so unfortunately I can't provide much besides knowing that Apple has offered to help the public screen themselves determine if they need to uh, pursue a COVID-19 test. And I think that's to control the amount of people who are trying to get tested. So that's a very proactive measure from our private sector partners. But again, I'll just reiterate, I always advise my family and tell my friends, I would just be safe, assume that you have have it and just take those precautionary measures. Not like stocking up on toilet paper at the store, but make sure that your house is clean. Make sure that you're always washing your hands. Make sure that you're keeping that social distance from your friends or people you may not know because some of us may be asymptomatic. So uh, instead of rushing to try to get a test just to have that assurance of whether or not you have it, I think it would be, in my personal opinion, a little more prudent to just assume that you might have it, but just be calm. And if you do start to develop those symptoms, then yes. Contact your healthcare provider, see if they can schedule an appointment with you to have a test conducted, and then proceed from there. We shouldn't get too nervous, but just always make sure that even in our daily lives, that we're always taking those preventative measures to take care of our health and those around us. And aside from us doing our part with everything you just mentioned, is there any way that we can help, even if it's virtually, or do you guys have anywhere we can see of ways that we can be of more help to our community and those that are fighting it in the front line? 
believe it or not, there's actually a plethora of ways that we can all get involved every day. A lot of people have asked us, how can they donate and give money to the federal government? Well, I always tell them, and we always advise the public, uh, cash donations to nonprofit organizations, of course, make sure that they're uh, legitimate organizations that are involved. There's a lot of misinformation, you know, scams going around, faulty nonprofits trying to help out. Donations is, is, a, is a great first way to start out. You can also donate blood. Uh, I don't know if you may be aware, but a lot of people need blood in this time. Try to research if there's a blood donation center in your community to see if you can help those in need. Uh, one thing that one of my family members is doing in Miami, she loves fashion and she's taking her sewing machine to sew um, masks, but with different animated characters uh, sewn on them. And I think it's a great idea to want to donate to children's hospitals to brighten up their spirits, brighten up their day. We've seen a lot of that nationwide. I see it in the front page newspapers every day. Uh, I mentioned nvoed.org to see what organizations are involved in if you can be involved. You can also contact your uh, local or state public health department to see how you can volunteer for a medical core group. But I think also in terms of doing due diligence, I think that it can be pretty broad, Michelle. I think when we break that down, I think it translates to stay informed. Like I said, there's a lot of misinformation going around. And if one of your friends or family members is getting misinformation, that could pose a risk to their safety and their health. So we want to make sure that we're always staying informed. For example, what is your mayor saying? What is your congressman saying? Uh, what is your senator saying? And most importantly, what is your governor saying? Because the governors are the front lines of this. They're in charge of what's happening in their states every day, giving a press briefing. And I think this is also a time for us to stay prepared and stay calm. I've been working six days a week, 12 to 14 hours. That's the standard right now. My mom is a nurse in South Florida. She's helping with this COVID-19 response as well with patients. It's very long hours that we're all going through. Whether we're working or we're at home, always surrounded by our friends and family, and sometimes it can get nagging because we want our own space at times, it can be stressful. But I think a lot of us have engaged in public service. It is such a personally rewarding opportunity to help those who are in great need of hope and reassurance that it's going to be okay. And I mean, especially in this day and age with this kind of a virus, what an amazing time for anyone listening out there. If you're a Chile alumnus, alumna, a fellow or a prospective fellow looking to get involved in the Chile program and are thinking about public service, what an amazing opportunity right now to, if you have your health and you have the opportunity, ask the question to try to get involved in your community and to serve your country. There has been no greater time than right now to help. And our healthcare providers, man, they do an astounding job every day because they're at the front lines treating these patients. So if you have your health and you're willing, get involved. Ask those in your community and your family how to get involved because this is an amazing experience that if you can help, I guarantee you, it is going to open doors down the road and you will have an amazing story to tell. I hope that answers the question. Basically, in essence, there's a lot of ways to get involved. I would actually like to extend my thank yous as well to to everyone who's putting extra hours and, you know, for everyone fighting in the front line and who doesn't necessarily have the option of staying home and working from home. Thank you to all those. If there's anybody that is listening, just know that we have you guys in mind and that any way we can help you just reach out. We're here for you. Absolutely. And again, you guys, if, if there's any information that, that, that we can help provide you, the public, uh, by all means, please visit our website uh, on FEMA.gov and see how we're helping the country right now with COVID-19 response. And you can also more generally visit coronavirus.gov that has all the updates that are taking place on the day to day.
Alejandro, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you said you're working 12 to 14 hours, which is pretty intense to jump on this call with, with me. I did want to let everyone know that you also host your own podcast with FEMA. You're interested in letting everyone know where we can find that link. Yeah, absolutely. So right now, a lot of us may be at home and have some time on our hands. If you guys want, we have a great set of podcasts recorded since last year. Myself, we put together an episode on how to prepare for an emergency like a rainy day fund. So by all means, if you guys have the time, check that out. It's on fema.gov forward slash podcast. And Michelle, thank you again for having us on the show. And I really appreciate you helping helping us getting the word out and hope you and your family are doing well and hope all of you listening, hope your families are well too. 